You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. So we made it. Seven weeks later, we're at the last church in Revelation chapter 3, Laodicea. Your sermon outline is two pages stapled together. You're going to say, how long are we planning on being here, Pastor Brett? Not very long, but I wanted to give you everything that we have developed in the eight years that I have been here to try to keep away from the very problem that the Church of Laodicea experienced. So every page except for the first one, you can uh, read afterwards, and the first one is the one with the blanks on it. That's the sermon outline for this morning. But these are things that we have tried to do here at Faith Church to keep from lukewarmness taking over. You're going to see how damaging can be. Um, oh, I can't stand over there. Uh, if we don't keep a control over it. And so we want to make sure that we know what lukewarmness is. I want to start this morning with, Danish, with a Danish folktale by an author named Hans Christian Andersen, published a short story called The Emperor's New Clothes in 1837. Since then, it has been I'm going to turn this. Let me try this one one more time. Let's get this down here. There we go. Over again. The Danish folktale author Hans Christian Andersen published a short story called The Emperor's New Clothes in 1837. Since then, it has been translated into over a hundred languages and has become known the world over. The tall tale tells the story of two swindlers who arrive in the capital city of, the, of an emperor who is obsessed with his abundance, especially in his clothes. The swindlers come up with a scheme where they pose as traveling weavers. And in a meeting with the emperor, they offer to weave him some magnificently magical clothes. The magic of the garments is that they are invisible to anyone who is foolish or incompetent. The emperor excitedly hires them. They go about their work, various officials and the emperors themselves himself visit them to see the progress. They see empty looms not wanting to be seen as foolish. I'm done playing games with that microphone. Finally, the weavers and the word that the emperor's suit is completed. He arrives, him, he, he removes his clothes and they mine dressing him, commenting on all the beautiful colors of the suit. The emperor sets off in a royal procession through the city in the new magical clothes. The townspeople initially go along with the, with the charade. 
not wanting to be seen as fools themselves, everything is proceeding swimmingly until a young child blurts out, but he's got nothing on. Laughing, the people finally realize that everyone has been duped, although the emperor continues along prouder than ever. In our passage today, we're going to see the lukewarm church of Laodicea effectively behaving, essentially behaving like the emperor with no clothes. They believe they're rich. They have it all. But Jesus firmly reminds this church that they've got nothing on at all in the seventh letter of Christ to the church of Revelation. My aim here this morning is to draw our attention to the concerning parallels between the sickness of a prosperous church in the first century and the disease raging in the church today in most prosperous country of all time. But we will also look at the hope for Laodicea, which is our hope as well. We will do this by walking through three different areas of the church of Laodicea. I want us to seriously look at this church because it is very tempting to become this church in America today. So first, we see this. We see Jesus' introduction to the church of Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the rulers of God's creation. Three things are said about the, the Lord's character. And this is the last message and warning to the churches. The first thing that is said is that he's the amen. I'm going to be very tempted to walk this morning. So if I get away from a microphone, don't yell at me too much. Amen means truly indeed and points to the stability of God that the Lord Jesus Christ is not, is not stable, is not not stable or fickle, and it's 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 he he is he is the Christ, and he is stable, even when our world is falling apart. What it really means is so be it. That's what it's translated from in the Greek. So when you say amen, you are saying, so be it. Amen, so be it. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, it says for the, these words, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's the amen, Jesus Christ. And he's starting it with this church because he wants them to remind them that before he gets to the bad news, let's remember who is the stable one even when we aren't stable ourselves. The second thing is, is that it says in verse 14, is, is that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. The testimony of Christ on earth is, is absolutely reliable and genuine. 
So God's testimony to men ought to be received and fully believed. If not, then a swift and true witness will be against them and their, and their indifference will become lukewarmness. Faithful and true witness. In other words, when he says he's coming back, he's coming back. When he says it's not of our decision what, when he comes back, he means it's not of our decision when he's going to come back. It also says that it's the ruler of God's creation in other translations. In other translations, it says these words, that Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this is where it gets a little different. This means that Jesus is the uncreated son of God. We believe that. Who is eternal like the father. Jesus is superior to creation and even prior to it. In the original language, it actually means that he is the originator of creation, the first cause, the creator, the governor. Now some, like the Jehovah Witness, have twisted this badly. What they have done is they have created a being, and they have turned this into a heretical teaching, saying that he was not the original creator, but a created being. Because he is the source of the creation of God, and if he had not been, there would be no creation. All creation only exists in reference to him. He is the creator of the world. So many times we think of Jesus, and we only think of New Testament error. But he was there. How do we know he was there? In Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and when I say where, there, I mean in the creation of the world, it says these words. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, invisible visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together here's what I want you to know if Jesus decides to take his hand off of his creation the consequences will be ugly there will be nothing pretty if he decides to say done if you set aside Christ and he doesn't become the focal of your preaching of the, of the preaching and of the word, then you've lost it. In other words, this church came to the place where the sufficiency of Christ wasn't important anymore. Not this church here, but the church of Laodicea. His reliability, his faithfulness, and the inerrancy of scripture I could take it or leave it, Laodicea says. Of course, the special creation of all things by God wasn't as important either. And all these things are healthy, heavily attacked today and set aside. Everything I've just mentioned. 
The Lord is about to evaluate the spiritual condition in the state of this church, Laodicea. And just like the church in Sardis, there's nothing good to say. Oh boy. There are no outside threats to the church and everything appears to be going as normal. If you had no drama, if you had no drama in your life, you wouldn't grow very much or do anything but comfort your flesh. In other words, they were almost too comfortable. Nothing could spike them. Not even the fact that Jesus was weary of their inability to see his importance. Living by your passions and desires does not produce any kind of forward spiritual movement and growth. And this church figured that out. So here's the face of the issue. The face of the issue is in verses 15 and 16 together. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are a lukewarm, neither um, hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus saves his last and biggest blasting rebuke for this church. The works of the Laodicean church are neither hot nor cold. Their affections are bland, indifferent, apathetic, leading to listless, half-hearted deeds. In other words, they're the school student who comes home and proudly proclaims to his parents, I got a 50% on my math test, and he's happy about it. The coffee was supposed to be piping hot, and instead it's room temperature. The ice cream was supposed to be refreshingly cold, but it's melted into a puddle of muck. When this happens to us, we know what it's like. Completely changes the, the experience of the food. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken, I mean, this is like a national sin in our household. My, my wife is a coffee lover. If you serve her lukewarm coffee, you will not survive. You won't. She looks all cute and cuddly this morning. But you will not survive if you serve her a more than piping hot, less than piping hot coffee. You just won't. Now me, I'm an ice cream lover. I hate it. When I go to the freezer and the freezer doesn't have it, hard as a rock. It's kind of a little melted. It's disgusting. It's not a good experience. I want to start all over again. That's what Jesus is saying about the church in Laodicea. It completely changes the experience. You make me sick, he says. I'm going to spit you out. The actual word is vomit. I'm going to throw you up. But what does it mean to be really lukewarm? 
Looking at the context of the passage, we can see what Jesus exhorts the church to do a few verses later and understand that this is the opposite of his call to earnest or to be zealous in verse 19. Look at verse 19 on the screens. Let's just go there. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, and so be earnest and repent. That word earnest in the Greek carries with it an element of temperature. It means to burn or boil intensely, to be warm in affection, to desire or covet zealously. And what are they meant to burn? Boil, warm towards Jesus. I want you to be hot for Jesus, Jesus is saying. You should be hot for me. I don't want the cold stuff. I don't, I don't want you to come to me and say, but I, I got a 40% on the final exam. Aren't you happy? No, I'm not. Right now, Jesus is not even inside the church in Laodicea. He's not even there. He's outside looking in. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse 20 with me. It'll be on the screen. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and does what? Opens the door. That means he's on the outside looking in. He's knocking and he's saying, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come where? In. He's on the outs looking in. And eat with that person. And they with me. He's standing at the door. He's on the outside looking in. So the essence of being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, is ultimately about the heart's affections for Jesus. For this church, their affections were all dried up. They're neither excited nor repulsed by the gospel and the conqueror. You catch that? This church of Laodicea is neither excited about the good news of Jesus Christ, so they're not sharing it with their world because they're not excited about it. It's, it's all dried up. The affections are all gone. The fact that Jesus did what Jesus, thank you, told us he did in that song that we sang earlier does not matter to that church any longer. It doesn't even shake their bones any longer. And you know what's even more is, is that they don't even have a negative thought towards the gospel. They just don't care. They don't care. They don't care that their neighbors are dying without Jesus. They don't care that the gospel gets left out of conversations that it should be in. They don't care. They're all dried up.
They may be respectable, they may be knowledgeable, and they may be very successful. Perhaps they are even outwardly impressive. But like Ephesus, remember that church? They abandon their first love. Being lukewarm is just floating aimlessly in the middle. It's the most dangerous place you and I can be. It's far worse than being hot to be burning with love and affection for Christ, and obviously. But Jesus says it's also worse than even being cold. How does that work? Well, if you're cold, you can at least feel that that temperature You get goosebumps and you shiver and your teeth chatter. The distance between what you are and what you should be is fairly obvious. But if you're lukewarm, if you're comfortable and you're at room temperature, you feel nothing at all. The truth doesn't shake you. It even doesn't even thrill you. You could care less probably even what I'm saying this morning. Because it doesn't matter. It's not going to change you when you walk out of these doors. When you're lukewarm. You see, what merely happens is the truth runs off of your back like a duck, water off of a duck's back. I don't care about the truth. It's a very dangerous place to be. So this is the face of the issue, and it's an incredibly dangerous issue because it means our Savior will spit them out, will vomit them out. I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up this morning saying, I hope I'm a believer that Jesus wants to vomit out. That's my goal in life. That when Jesus, I almost said wakes up, he never sleeps. When Jesus thinks of me, he thinks of vomit. Yet, it can happen. It can happen. What's the cause of this? How did this happen? How could it happen to us? Let's move to our second point, and we'll see it. It's the underlying disease. Underlying illness, excuse me. The underlying illness. The second point is, okay, the first thing is we see what the problem is, all right? It's like you go to your doctor and you say, I'm sneezing all the time. Well, that's the, that's the face of the issue. You're sneezing all the time. Then he does an allergy test and he finds out you're allergic to 16,000 different things. And now he says, that's the problem. That's what we're going to do in verse 17. Here's what it says. Look at verse 17. We get an idea of how this happens. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Before we go any farther, I want to be helpful to you to understand some background information about this city. Laodicea was one of the wealthiest places in the part of the world that they lived in. It derived its success from three main industries, banking, including a gold exchange, textiles, including a unique black wool, and a renowned medical school, which produced an innovative eye salve made from stone powder. This place was a hub of commercial and financial and medical activity on a profitable trade route. It's very likely that the members of this church were quite successful in those occupations. They were doctors, they were bankers, they were merchants. They provided good things for the world around them. They excelled at it and they were rewarded. We even have records of a major earthquake that occurred in the area, in their area in 60 AD. Each of the surrounding cities took disaster relief, financial aid from Rome, but due to their great prosperity, Laodicea was the only Roman city to reject imperial aid, instead rebuilding with their own wealth. In other words, if Hurricane Ian went through Laodicea, they wouldn't have related, they wouldn't have asked the federal government to give them money to rebuild. There's nothing, I'm not downing that. I'm telling you, this city was so rich that they said, tell you what, government, keep your own money. We're going to rebuild our city. That's how rich they were. Is this starting to sound a bit like where we live? Successful? Prosperous? Titans of industry? Seem to have money at any drop of the hat? Talking about the country and the world. With that background, let's look at the back of the text at the text. The first thing to notice is the incredible contrast between their assessment of themselves and Jesus' piercing understanding of their reality. Let's notice something here. Look at what they say about themselves. I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You see what all those are best based on? Things that can go away in a split second. Do you see what's missing from what they say about themselves? I don't need a thing, including Jesus. If I've heard it once in a ministry, I've heard it again. I don't need Jesus. Look, pastor, look at all that I have. Someday you will stand face to face with Jesus and you can show him all that you had, but it will not enter you into his paradise. The bank account has so many zeros, there's no end to it in this church. 
The property is in good shape. The job is respectable and has grown potential. They are comfortably supplied. No need to move. We got this. But Christ comes in and like the child in the story of the emperor points out that in reality they're not, they're, they've got nothing at all. From his perspective, listen to this perspective, they're, they're wretched, wretched. They're pitiful. They're poor. They're blind. And most of all, they're naked. And worst of all, they don't even see it. It's powerful. They don't even see it. It's completely another to be the beggar and yet believe that you are a king. Let me read that whole sentence. I skipped a part of it. It's one thing to be a naked beggar, filthy and blind, and to be pitied above all. It's completely another to be that beggar and yet believe that you're actually the king. And may I suggest, without stepping on any too many toes, because trust me, the size 14s up here got plenty this week. There's a lot of people walking around like the king. And they're nothing but a beggar. When it comes to God. And so we get to the underlying illness. When we fail to find Christ, the source of all true wealth and splendor and vision, we stop feeling our true need for a rescuer. You get cozy in the world. I know I do. When we locate our ultimate hope and identify in worldly success or our titles that we hold or, or our treasure, we can open ourselves up to great loss. As humans, we become like what we worship. Worship Christ, draw near to him. You become more like him. Worship yourself, make yourself the king, and you will become more and more like yourself. And yourself, according to scripture, your heart is never in the right place. And so the situation here appears to be hopeless, yet it's not. Here's the unexpected answer in verse 18. The unexpected answer is, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich in white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I want you to notice there's a word up there with a square red, red square around it. He's talking to a church that is spiritually poor. And I find it interesting that Jesus says, I counsel you to buy. Buy with what? You just told us we have no spirituality. You just told us that we're naked and we're wretched and we're pitiful and we're poor. It's powerful. We'll see why in just a moment. 
The background of the Laodicea helps us yet again. To the banking center with a prosperous gold exchange, the king offers divine gold refined by fire so they can be truly rich. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, gold is often connected to the crown of life. So the surprising cure for lukewarmness is not ultimately a rejection of riches. It's a currency exchange. As Jesus offers heavenly everlasting riches in places of their temporary earthly wealth, and it really does involve a true change. Listen to verse 19 again. It'll be on the screen. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Turn away from the false hope of worldly success, Jesus is saying. Jesus is literally saying to these people, folks, you have put all of your eggs in the basket of the bank. You've put all of your eggs in all that you have. And you've left out the very hope of the world. The first cure for lukewarmness and spiritual complacency is a renewed understanding of our standing without Christ as pitiful beggar and a zealous pursuit of Jesus and his promises. You want to get out of this mindset? Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, Pastor, you're, you're, you're hitting a little closer to home. Good. I really am glad I am. More importantly, I'm glad the Holy Spirit is. You want to get out of it? Understand that you have nothing without Jesus. Understand that Jesus' blessings on your life are huge. Understand that you don't even wake up tomorrow morning without Jesus. The Laodicea church had forgotten all of these things. But I also want you to notice something, that even in their state of lukewarmness, they may be lukewarm to him, but he remains warm to them, even as their their actions disappoint him. When we wonder, Jesus does not force us to climb the mountain and come find his door. He initiates it. One of the things we're learning in our Wednesday night Bible study is is that Jesus is always pursuing. He doesn't just let you out there to wonder. He's always pursuing. You need to find him. You need to understand that he does not like it when you just cut him out of your life. Laodicea was running that risk. He stands at the door and he knocks. We only have to hear his voice by his spirit and open the door. As we conclude this section, this this sermon series, the main point here is the most is this. More communion with Christ is the ultimate cure to the disease of apathy and lukewarmness.
Unfortunately, what the enemy has done, and I'm speaking from the experience of 22 years of being in this position, what the enemy has convinced us in 2022 is, is, is that if you're tired, if you're full of apathy for the church, if you're full of apathy for Jesus Christ, you should probably leave it for a couple of weeks. He's convinced us the very opposite answer to the solution is the answer. And we've fallen for it. And I say that with no regrets. When times get tough, people leave instead of coming in for more. And we've put it right in Satan's hands. And he wins. The cure for apathy and lukewarmness is not less church. It's more. Not even church. Jesus. It's more. What does your time in the word look like lately? Have you spent time speaking to him? Seeking to know him deeper? That's the one thing that I'm appreciative of our Wednesday night study for. It's given us some good tools to hear his voice in the word. Have his ear in prayer. I would add a third that is kind of mentioned. It's given us the importance of belonging to this fellowship. That when you're down and out, you get a text or a message or an email from a brother or sister that encourages you. And so how do we go about our days after learning from the church of Laodicea? Well, it's going to be in big red just in a minute here. Beware of lukewarmness, friends. It's striking everywhere. Charles Stanley said several years ago in a book, Casual Christianity, that the goal of Satan is not to divide and conquer the church. The goal of Satan is to convince the church that they can just casually live for Christ and still make a difference in the world. No fire, no passion, no desire. After those years, church attendance has dropped. After those years of Charles Stanley writing those very words, church has become, eh, if I have time. Beware of lukewarmness, friends. Because it will be to the detriment of all of us. Jesus doesn't want us to be lukewarm. In fact, it causes his stomach to turn. He wants to vomit us out. I don't preach this as a condemning message. 
I preach it as an encouraging message because listen here, I'll tell you right now from standing here this morning as your pastor, the enemy has his way of convincing us it's less than important. And sometimes he starts at the top. Just go through the motions. It's okay. Just give me 50%, not 100. But the battle has to rage on. And may I dare say that I think the battle is going to get worse and worse. I think lukewarmness is going to take over places where we never thought lukewarmness was going to take over. But let us not be (laughs) discouraged by that. Because in John chapter 1, Jesus says very clearly to us that the light may look like it was dominated by the darkness, but it wasn't. The light of Jesus will never go May you be encouraged this morning by the church of Laodicea, a church where nothing seemed to be going right, yet Jesus still cared about that church. Never once did we read in Revelation chapter 3, at least in my translation that I'm reading from this morning, never once did we read that Jesus said, you're off, you're done. No, we read of Jesus saying, listen, you need to change your perspective from what you look like on this earth to what you look like to me in heaven. Because I look past the clothes. I look past the bank account. I look past all of those things. And I look right into your heart, Church of Laodicea. And he does to us as well. And remember, I had it underlined, but I didn't say it. He only disciplines those he loves. If you're feeling like you're a little bit disciplined this morning, I guess you're one that he loves. And that's a good thing. So beware of lukewarmness. If you see it, fight it. If you desire it, fight it. Because it's the number one killer. Lukewarmness. It settles us in and then sin becomes less than instead of something that turns our heart. I don't know about you, but I'll end this on this illustration. Do you ever find yourself hearing about a situation, and, and, and you know, I'm going to keep it generic this morning, and you just say, oh, well. But that situation is a, something that breaks the heart of God. Do you ever find yourself saying these words? Well, back in the day, 
that would have been an issue. This didn't change from back in the day. It's still an issue. That's how you know lukewarmness is setting in. When you begin to say, okay, we'll accept it. Instead of saying, what does God's word say about it? May we fight it. May we be aware of it. And may we stand on his promises as we walk out into a world that has become lukewarm to much of what we're saying. May we be passionate about it. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.